All right. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Any uh, any any Trekkies in here, fellow Trekkies? Yeah. Okay. So, like like Scotty said in one of these new JJ movies, all right, live or die. Let's get this over with. All right. So, yes, I'm I'm glad we have. I'm glad I have some fellow Trekkies in here. The rest of you, see me after the sermon. We'll talk. Extend the right hand of fellowship to all y'all. If you're lucky, I won't use a fist, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it'll, it'll look like this. I'm a Trekkie, right? So, uh... All right. Well, uh, welcome today. Um, I, I think our brother Modesto told us that we were going to get a... a, a what was it, engaging an emotive sermon from Philip, and uh, so as you can see, Philip got older and probably uglier, more gray hair, but uh, uh, all of a sudden, Philip lifts more. Mm, look at that. So uh, there's, there's goods and bads. And it was Philip's spawn who, uh, who said, yeah, we probably won't need, uh, you probably won't need the Kleenex boxes, right? Because, uh, um, or no, she asked me if we'll need Kleenex boxes. And I said, no, I'm not going to give an emotive sermon, right? We're going to focus on logic, order, things like that. And she said, oh, so we'll need the Kleenex boxes because we'll be crying tears of boredom. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so if you're not a Trekkie, you're on my list. And if... Your name is Eileen Snell. You're also on my list. All right. So, uh, anyways, As someday it may happen that a victim must be found. I've got a little list. That that's right. Certain types of Trekkies may uh, focus themselves after one of those Trekkie species and have no emotion whatsoever. So, fair enough. But they won't cry. They won't need the tissue box. There's no tears of boredom. Anyways, let's get started. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will tell forth thy praise. Amen? Amen. Join me in prayer. O Lord, O Lord our God, King of the universe, high and exalted King of the universe, we love you. We're here to worship you today. We've spent some time worshiping you with our liturgy. We've spent some time worshiping you with our praise. Lord, would the, the words that, uh, that, that I speak, the words that this congregation receives today, um, the, the words that they speak, Lord, would these be your words? Would you send your spirit uh, to, to come on us with power? Lord, we know that you are, you are truly here in our midst. Right, we've got two or more gathered in your name, in the name of, the strong name of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. Be with us today. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to dedicate this sermon today. You're going to listen to this dedication, and then you might listen to the sermon. That's good if you do. If not, right, I've got a picture of uh, Philip's son here who is totally unconscious, right? So if, if that's how you choose to spend your time in the sermon, right, it's the Sabbath, right? Have a good nap. Um, but uh, you'll hear the dedication, and then you'll hear the sermon, and they're not really related, but I want to share a story with you. I was working on this sermon, right? So I'm working, trying to, trying to uh, exegete 
the Word of God, trying to learn from it so I can share with you. And uh, my wife came up to me and, oh, hey, we, we need such and such from the synagogue. And as a, a good Christian man, I, I leapt at the chance to serve the body of Christ. That's actually not true. I didn't do that. I was, I was petulant. Oh, I don't want to do that. So, and then these words came to me. And these are not words from the scripture, but they are words from uh, C.S. Lewis. And I wanted to share this with him. So this is the dedication for this sermon, uh, just because Joe George had to re rebuke himself. And the spirit, blessed be, had to rebuke me with these words. Uh, words spoken before I was born, but great words. So this is uh, C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. Does it not make a great difference whether I am, so to speak, the landlord of my own mind and body, or only a tenant responsible to the real landlord? If someone else made me for his own purposes, then I shall have a lot of duties which I should not have if I simply belonged to myself. Again, C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. Um, I would like to draw your attention to the compound word landlord, right? It's made up of two words, land and lord, right? And if, if my lord does indeed own me and you and everybody else, right? If he really is a lord, right? If he really is a king, you know, if, if he gets to be Lord, and if he truly is Lord, then we do indeed have a lot of duties that we wouldn't normally do ourselves. Right? So, and again, I tell you that story just because those words kind of came to me when, you know, I should have looked at this opportunity to do a, a mitzvah that my wife was presenting me as an opportunity to serve the true and living Christ. And the way to serve the true and living Christ is by serving his, his body. Those people who are truly his, right, we, when we serve them, when we serve each other, right, then, then we are truly serving him. Right? As he washed the feet of his apostles, his disciples, right, so we should go and serve others. Right? And, and by serving others, we are actually serving him. So learn from my mistakes be a better person than I am, and uh, words from C.S. Lewis, right? We rarely go wrong with C.S. Lewis. Anyways, today I'm going to be teaching on Philippians, the book of Philippians. The last time I taught, I was also teaching on Philippians. I got through uh, verses, the first chapter, verses 1 through 5. Today we'll go verse 6 through uh, 26, so please take out your... Uh, Take out your Bibles, open with me to the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to Philippians, and uh, we'll get started. Uh, so Paul introduces himself, right, we've covered that, he introduces himself and Timothy, greets them, and uh, then we jump into this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me 
of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become more confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak this word without fear. Indeed, some preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out from my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful to you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. It's uh, the words of the true and living God from his servant, his faithful servant, Paul, in the book of Philippians. So, what's going on here? First of all, we start with a verse that needs a lot of consideration. We're being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Right? That's verse 6. Right? This, this verse from Paul almost seems to be kind of a, a throwaway line. Right? It's not that. God forgive me if I ever talk that way about his scriptures. It's not that. Paul is saying exactly what he means here. But we in the church have a lot of theology writing on this verse. Okay? So I want to talk about some of that just so you're aware of it. Right? This is... Um, there, there's a, a broad discussion and you know, a, a disagreement in the body of Christ today, doctrinally, over soteriology, right? Soteriology, what does that word mean? The, the understanding of salvation, ology, right? The study of and soteriology to save, right? So how, how are people saved? Some of, some of us, right? Those, again, us in the body of Christ are on one side or another. There's kind of a continuum. Some of us are very, what we'll say is... Uh, Calvinistic, right? God does all this work. Mankind chooses nothing. Mankind doesn't even have free will. Free will is a lie. It's a lie from the devil, right? God chooses this. God, God has therefore chosen those of us who believe 
in the gospel. God has chosen those people and God has decided that that's how it's going to be. And there are other people whom God has not chosen and they're just vessels prepared for wrath. That, that's it. Um, there's on the other side. Right, I use that with my left. That's the left side. Rah, they're wrong. On the right side, you know, there is, you know, humankind gets to make our own decisions, right? And then, you know, we need to bounce around somewhere in the middle because, yes, a lot of the faith that we have is a work of the Spirit inside of us. They're, right, so this side is the Calvinists. They have really nice beards. They have no sense of humor. I think they're wrong. This side are what we call the provisionalists. There's, I'm farther over here. Um, I'm probably not all the way over here, right? When, when you hear this, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it through till the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, that, that's true, right? What exactly does that mean? Right, let's, let's study it just a little bit, right? So on, on this side, on the very Calvinistic side, they have a, a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Acronym called TULIP, right? TULIP. The I in TULIP stands for irresistible grace. The P in TULIP stands for preservation of saints. And uh, to a lesser degree, we're going to talk about the U in TULIP, which stands for unconditional election. Right? So when, when we study this verse, right, you'll have the more strongly Calvinistic side say, oh, well, see, there you go. He who began a good work in you will complete it through. Therefore, preservation of the saints, which means once saved, always saved. Right? No, one's, no, one's, no one's going to fall away who is truly saved. Right? He, was, he, he, blah, 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 blah. he who has begun a good work in you, right? therefore, unconditional election. He began this good work in you, you didn't begin it for yourself. Right? Does the verse necessarily say that? No, not necessarily. The verse just says that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it through till the day of Christ Jesus. Now, Calvin, in his commentary, he mentions that we cannot know the state of grace of another, but we should assume the best upon seeing that person's good works. All right, so Calvin... And, and Calvin's commentary, what, what I've quoted to you from Calvin, is on his commentary specifically on this verse. Okay? Um, right? St. John Chrysostom, who was an early uh, bishop in the church, he was the bishop of Constantinople uh, in, the, in the 300s, right? The 4th century AD. He takes a different view. Right? And, he, and he is going to, from, from his commentary, he's specifically going to disagree with Calvin. Right? Calvin was 1,200 years after John Chrysostom. But, all right, so John Chrysostom is going to disagree with him. He's going to say, and I quote, Since, if his inworking were indiscriminate, there would have been nothing to hinder that even heathens and all men might have him working in them. That is, if he moves us like logs and stones and required not on our part. So that in saying God will perfect it, this also again is made their praise who have drawn to them the grace of God so that he aids them in going beyond their human nature. Right? So again, I think, I think John Chrysostom here is saying, you know, does he aid them in going beyond their human nature? Yes, he just said that. Right? But do humans also... Right? And again, quoting from John Chrysostom, who have drawn to them the grace of God. Right? So is, is, there, is there partly a human choice in this matter? Yes, I think there is. Right? Now, again, 
in that same sentence, John Chrysostom goes on to say, so that he aids them in going beyond their human nature, right? Which is, again, why I, I think that when we're talking about soteriology, if we have, you know, your strong five-point Calvinism on, on the left, right, and on the right, as in the correct side, you know, more of a provisionalist standpoint, I think we need to be somewhere in the middle, right? And we need to be loving and caring towards our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and I say that because this passage, as I've looked at this passage that we just read, I think there's an, underlying, there's an underlying framework. The underlying theme of this passage, right? Is, and I think we're going to see it, it, it does, Paul doesn't say it. Right? He doesn't say that, hey, everything's going to work out. He doesn't say that here. But I think that when we look at this passage together, I think we're going to see that it is actually indeed in there. So... Right? And, and when part of when we say that these things are going to work out, it is, it is my desire that understanding other disputable doctrines that are in the body of Christ today, that we have a, a true love for our brothers and sisters in the Messiah, even if they don't necessarily agree with all of our points of doctrine here. Right? And you know, if they're like Calvinists and they have really great beards and no sense of humor, that's okay. We still love them. Okay, so when we say he who has begun a good work in you will complete it through to the day of Christ Jesus, what, what do we mean by that? How do we understand that? I think we should look at this passage in, in a number of ways. First of all, I think we should look at it very broadly. Right? He who has begun a good work in you will complete it through till the day of Christ Jesus. This is true of everybody. Right? This, this is not just true. This is not just true of those who have accepted the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ, those who have chosen to, you know, or again, if you, don't, if you disagree with me and you think we don't choose but God chooses for us, regardless, those who are in the body of Christ, this passage is not just true of those who are in the body of Christ, I don't think. This passage is true of everyone, right? This, this passage is true of, uh, true of your favorite atheist. Anyone got a favorite atheist? Dawkins? Ah, yes, the high priest of atheism himself, Professor Richard Dawkins. You know, he might be my favorite as well. I, I like Professor Dawkins. He, uh, he says the quiet parts out loud. And he will, Professor Dawkins will say things like, oh, I don't know if I can quote him precisely, but he'll say, you know, in, in, in a universe of blind chance and selfish genes, you know, some people are, some things are going to work out really well, and some people are going to get hurt, and there's no justice in it, and that's just the way it is, right? And that's, it. I'm not quoting him precisely, but, you know, so this, the, there is a desire in the heart of every human being for justice. There's a desire in the heart of every human being that things should go the right way, and there is a knowledge in the heart of every human being that things right now are not going the way they should. Right? And Dawkins, Professor Dawkins, will just say, there is no should. Things are the way they are, and there is there's nothing but sky above us, and suck it up and drive on. You, your, your selfish genes, that's, that's it. So, yes, Dawkins, Professor Dawkins is a favorite atheist, yes, and, and very well known. Anyone else, favorite atheist? 
Bill Nye? Okay, Bill Nye the science guy, right? Yeah, um, Bill Nye the science guy who calls himself a science guy and doesn't understand that your sex chromosomes make you either male or female, right? Really good scientist there. Okay, sure. And, right, he says something ridiculous so we get to ridicule him, right? Okay. Especially when we can go back 10 years and find footage of him saying, oh, well, X and Y chromosomes make you either male or female, right? Okay, Bill Nye. Great, yes. Love Bill Nye. Anyone else? Favorite atheist? That's probably enough. Right, so all of your... He who has begun a good work in Bill Nye will complete it through until the day of Christ Jesus. What do I mean by that? Right? Uh, this is what I mean by that, that he is going to bring this good work to pass for every person with an X chromosome. That's what I mean by that. Right? Your favorite atheist, right? Bill Nye, Richard Dawkins, Bertrand Russell, you know, whoever your favorite Reddit-tier, online, wannabe memester is. Right? Those people will eventually reach the day of Christ Jesus with you and with me. Right? And those people, just like you and I, those people, their knees will be bowing, their tongues will be confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This will happen for every human being on this planet that has ever been on this planet, that ever will be on this planet. Well, with the exception of the human being who is being confessed as Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is true man. But he's going to be there, right? So everyone, every human being, knees bowing, tongues confessing, except their knees will not be bowing and their tongues will not be confessing out of the love and the, the hope and the joy that we have that this is going to be fixed forever, and we're going to spend forever with that man that we are declaring as Lord to the glory of God the Father. They're not going to have that joy. They're not going to have that hope. They will be bowing and their tongues will be confessing out of fear and hatred and despair. All right? And they will not get to hear these words. They will not get to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the glory that my Father's prepared for you. They're not going to get to hear those words. Right? They're going to get to hear other words. They're going to get to hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Absolutely. Yeah, the, 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 question, the question is, could, you know, is, is God continually trying to reach the atheist? Absolutely, he is. Right? Again, I mentioned my Calvinists, the left wing. A lot of them would hate being called left wing. It makes it even better. Right? The, there are some people who don't think that's true. I believe that the heavens declare the glory of God. And I believe that every day that you get up and you see creation... 
That is general revelation to all of mankind, including atheists, including Satanists, including secular humanists, including every human being. Again, like I say, everyone with an X chromosome. Right? If you've forgotten your biology, everybody has an X chromosome. Okay? Every human being can see this. Right? And that's general revelation, right? That, that everyone gets. Right? You wake up, you're breathing you can see general revelation, right? We need to tell people about specific revelation. We need to tell people about the death, birth, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, victorious resurrection, resurrection to life everlasting, right? And that all of, all of these things that we see that, that seem to be wrong, they are going to be made right through redemption. And that, hey, guess what? You can come along. You can be made right too. Yes, so... Yes, the, to answer your question, I sincerely believe that I sincerely believe that uh, my, my, my daughter, Reagan, and I were talking about this, right? The, the passage in John, no one, no one can come to me but that my father draws him. Right? What does that mean? Does that mean God only draws certain people and that those are the only people who come to Christ? I don't think that's what it means. I think that God draws all men Right? that you couldn't come to him, you couldn't come to Christ unless the Father, blessed be he, was drawing you. But there are, yes, some people that will resist that draw. That's, in, both interpretations are consistent with the scriptures. Right? Yes, I think to answer your, I, I think, did I answer your question? I think I did. Uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, so God is drawing all men. Is God con going to continue to draw them? Yes. Should we be continuing to draw them? Yes. Right? When we say we have a favorite atheist, that person should have to drag us to the very gates of hell, kicking and screaming, before we let go. Don't let them drag you through the gates of hell. Don't let them convince you. All right? We need to be convincing them. All right, but right when, when we say that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it through to the day of Christ Jesus, right, I think that, that passage applies to every human being, not just the people in Philippi. And that good work, right, why, why is that a good work? Right? I'm, I'm saying that it's a good work that at the end of the age, there will be people who will be judged. Right? They'll be judged. They won't get mercy. Right? Mer mercy is an offer. Mercy through the Son of God is, is an offer for all of humankind. That's good. You want mercy. You don't want to be judged. I do not want to be judged by a perfect God with perfect standards and get perfect justice. Because God misses nothing. I want to get mercy from a perfect God because God misses nothing. That's what I want, and that's what we should want for every human being. right? Every human being with an X chromosome. We all have X chromosomes. All right, that's what we should want. All right, we should not let those people meet that fate without doing everything we can. That yes, they have, that they insisted and insisted and insisted and insisted, and they had to drag us along, begging them to repent. All right? 
But yes, at long last, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. And you will finally, your, you know, your favorite atheist, your favorite unrepentant, you know, whatever, it doesn't have to just have to be atheist, your favorite whatever, you know, who, your favorite whoever has rejected the offer of mercy and has chosen to accept only the offer of justice, that person will finally give God the glory that he is due by burning in hell. He will complete that good work that he began in you. And you will finally, finally give him the glory. And you will give him the only glory that you're at that point in time capable of giving him because you'll be giving him the glory because you're separated from him. He's a holy God. You're a vessel of wrath. And that's all you've chosen to be. And he will look at you and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Notice at that time, it's a lot less important that you know Christ than that he knows you. Right? You know, again, there's all sorts of people that will make the arguments, well, I'm just not convinced that there's God. That won't matter. You know? It's not what you know that, oh, well, I, I never got a chance to know Christ. He doesn't know you. He'll say, depart. He doesn't say, depart from me, you never knew me. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. And your importance in this grand scheme of things will finally become clear to you. So things are going to work out, right? Like I said, there's, in, in, this, in this passage, Paul is telling us that things are going to work out. They might not work out the way you want them to. Because you'll be taken from that. If, if you're getting justice, you'll be taken from that place and you'll be exiled from the presence of God for eternity. All right? I don't want that for anyone. Certainly don't want that for myself. For this flock that I'm supposed to shepherd, I don't want that for any one of you. So accept the mercy. The offer of mercy is free. It's free to you. It wasn't free to him. It's free to you. Accept the offer. Easy money. Right? But things are going to work out. Now, in this context, right, Paul is very clearly saying to the church in Philippi that things are going to work out because you're going to be remade into his likeness. That's how he's going in you. Right? In those of us who choose to accept this offer of mercy and believe in the Son of God, right, Things are going to work out because you're going to be remade into his likeness. That's why things are going to work out. Now, why is it right? Let's move on to verse 7. Why is it right for Paul to believe that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it? He tells them, right, because you are partakers of grace with me. You're partakers of grace with Paul. Right? Here again we see the gospel. He doesn't say, right, Paul has, right, in Philippians 4 we're going to get to a few minor critiques of the Philippian church. Right? Very, very minor. Just have this person get along with that person. Right? Very, very simple. But beyond that, Paul doesn't have anything bad to say about the Philippian church. Right? Again, he has all sorts of bad things to say about just about every other church he wrote to. Paul is pretty... Right? Again, my, one of my favorite verses is, I think it's 1 Corinthians 4.21. He says, Shall I come to you with a whip? Right? He's threatening to beat people. 
Say what you want about Joe George and Philip Snell. I don't think we've ever offered to actually put our hands on people here, right? You know, you know anything more than a joke, right? Now, Aileen, for talking about people crying tears of boredom, you might have to change that, right? Aileen, shall I come to you with a whip? Uh, uh, but again, right, there's all sorts of bad things Paul could say. Paul could tell you, hey, the, the church in Philippi is not doing this right, not doing that right. But he is confident, Paul is confident that he has begun a good work and you will complete it. And again, and he's saying that in a very positive and loving manner to this church. He's confident because they are partakers of grace. This is the gospel. Sola gratia. Only grace. It is only by God's grace that, that something good is going to come out of this world. It's only by God's grace that something good is going to happen to you. Okay, this is, this is the gospel. Sola gratia, sola fide. Okay, and forgive me, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of speaking Christianese. Sola gratia means only by grace. It is only by the good things that God wants for you are because of his grace. Grace is, what, is, what does grace mean? Help me out. Someone help me out. Grace. In this context, what am I talking about? Grace. Unmerited favor. Good. Thank you. Grace is unmerited favor. All right. So this unmerited favor, you know, you don't deserve good things. Let me give you a hint. You deserve bad things. That's part of the gospel. But another part of the gospel is that God wants to give you good things. So repent and accept it. And it is only by grace. It is not by something that you've done. Right? You, don't have to, you don't have to do this thing or that thing. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do good works. That means that good works are, are in a, a different place. They're somewhat separated from the truth of the gospel. Okay? That's what I mean when I say sola gratia. All right. Okay, so moving on. Let's take a look at verses 8 through 11. All right? Here, again, Paul showing affection to the Philippian church, not threatening to beat them. If Aline was there, he might threaten to beat her. But he's not threatening to put his hands on people. All right, let me read this again for you. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. In this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Right, he's being very loving here. And, and again, how does he start? How does he start? God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with the affection. And this I pray. Notice this. If you love someone, you're going to pray for that person. Paul talks about how he loves them. What's his next sentence? And this I pray. Paul is praying for these people. He is praying for these people and, and, and not just, oh Lord, would you, you know, bring them, I pray for them. He's praying something specific for them. If you love someone, if you really love someone, and Paul says that he's, this love is through the Messiah, blessed be he, you're praying for these people. Right? Now this is, this should be something we learn intellectually from this passage. This should also be something that we take to heart. Right? I, I will stand here right now and say that I have not spent enough time in prayer for you, the members of this congregation, over whom I'm appointed an elder. 
all right? That's, that's a flaw in my walking out the scriptures, right? I will do better, okay? I encourage you to join me, all right? Can you, can you carve out, can you carve out five minutes a day to, to pray for the people in this, in this little body, this little part of the body. Is that fair? Okay, well then let's do it. Let, let's spend five minutes a day praying for each other. Also, what does, what does Paul say? He, he's praying that they would have love and that their, their love would abound more and more. I want them to have more love. Paul, in other places in the scriptures, you know, he's going to say, I do all these great and wonderful things, but I don't have love. I'm a clanging gong. Right? Love is important. We need to have that love, and that, need, that love needs to come from God. That love needs to be put into us by the Spirit. Blessed be He. Remember, the Spirit is a person. Now, that love, that is love that is fueled by knowledge. Verse 9, he talks about knowledge. He wants you to have knowledge. Again, read it again. Maybe I'm lying to you. Am I lying to you? Let's see. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge. Nope, I didn't lie. There it is. In knowledge. Right? Now, what is this knowledge? Right? What is this knowledge? I've got an answer for you. Right? But first of all, let's talk about the, you know, let's talk about love. How is this love supposed to work? It's supposed to work in knowledge. If, if we needed to, which we don't, let's put another stake through the silly little love is love saying. Turn with me, if you will. I'm, well, I don't need to explain to you what this knowledge is that Paul's talking about because Paul explains it himself. Open your Bibles, please, to Romans. Romans, the first chapter. We're going to read Romans 22 through 32, and we're going to learn about the knowledge that Paul is talking about. It's the same word here in the Greek. Romans, starting in 22. Professing... Romans 1, 22 through 32. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Again, we're talking about knowledge, the, the right kind of knowledge that Paul is praying for such that your love can abound more and more. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... Right, Same word Paul uses in the Greek there. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of all evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, 
that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It is this knowledge that people lack that causes them to what? Not only do these things, but approve of those who practice them. Okay, now, we, we all heard the passage reference sodomite behavior. Okay, the passage is most certainly a condemnation of sodomite behavior. We know that. There's no question about it. Anyone who tries to tell you otherwise is selling something, and it's probably snake oil. Okay, there's, there's no question about that. But I want to leave that aside. Okay, got it. The sodomite deviancy is, is something that God gives you over. God finally just says, oh, fine. Washes his hands of you and turns you free. I want to talk about, brothers and sisters, when we look at this passage, and any passage like this, when we look at a passage of, don't do this, don't do that, we need to look inwards at ourselves. All right? And, and sure, it's, it's fair to look outwards and tell other people, don't do this, don't do that. People who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? And yes, it means what it says. But let's have con- some concern for ourselves. Right? Because notice that it's not only sodomite practices that Paul is condemning here. It's not only a sodomite practice that Paul is saying, you know, God gives you over. He allows your debased mind to do this. Right? Let's read it again. Right? being filled with all unrighteousness. Sexual immorality, yeah, that's there. Okay. Wickedness, covetousness. All right, well, that's a 10th commandment violation. Have you ever done that? Have you ever desired something and been willing to hurt someone else to get it? Guess what? You're in the same boat as the sodomites. All right, backbiters. Have you ever said something nasty about someone behind his back. That even, to me, I I look at that, that's not even a sin on par with sodomite practices, but it's there. Paul says it is. Right? Inventors of evil things, haters of God, violent, proud. Have you ever been proud? Right? And this this is not just the the proud of, "I, I, I did something good, Soli Deo Gloria, I'm, I'm proud of that, that, that that work will be written in, in the high places and presented before God as an act of worship. That's not that kind of pride, right? This is, this is the kind of pride in, in oneself. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Look at this amazing city that I have built. And then the decree comes from heaven. I'm going to let you spend seven years thinking about that and eating grass. Look at verse 30. Disobedient to parents. That's in that same boat. That is something of which Paul, in verse 32, says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? I've disobeyed my parents. I'm in, I'm, according to Paul, I'm in the same boat as the Sodomites. Okay, so we need help. 
I need that grace. Right? Don't worry, it's all going to work out. Okay, The kind of love that Paul wants to abound more and more is the kind of love that is in knowledge. And that's the kind of knowledge that we want. The kind of knowledge that approves good things, rejects evil things. Okay, that's the kind of love that we need. Let's move on to verse 10, right? Paul talks about approving the things that are excellent, right? Again, why are we approving the things that are excellent? Because we have this knowledge that Paul's talking about. This knowledge that Paul's talking about leads to the right kind of love abounding more and more in our lives. All right, so let's talk about the uh, approving things that are excellent. The word there for excellent is diaphoranta. Let's approve the things that are diaphoranta. And the things that are diaphoranta, again, this word is used two places in the Greek scriptures, and Paul's going to tell us what it means. So, let's go, again, you guessed it, to uh, Romans. Let's go to Romans 2, verses 17 through 24, in the same general discourse that Paul was giving that we just talked about. Indeed, you who are called a Jew and rest on the law, you make your boast in God, you know his will, you approve the things that are, here comes the word, excellent, being instructed out of the law, you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Do you not preach that a man should not steal? Do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Okay, that sounds a little rough. So I've got bad news and I've got good news. What do you want first? You want the bad news? Okay, here's the bad news. Okay, everyone, everyone remembers our... Blessed Rabbi, Colonel John Powlett, right? He hated the phrase Torah observant. He hated that. Right? When we said, oh, we're a Torah observant synagogue, he'd always say, no, you're not. You're, you, you violate Torah all the time. Right? Paul's giving us the same bad news here. Right? You, oh, call yourself a Jew. Well, we call ourselves a Messianic Jewish synagogue. Right? So we're kind of close. You rest on Torah. Oh, well, we try to practice Torah here. You make your boast in God. Making your boast in God is a good thing. Right? You know his will. You approve the things that are, again, that's diaphoranta. You approve the things that are excellent. Right? Being instructed out of the law. And then Paul goes on to say that you know, you, you know the law and you intentionally break it. Right? That's the bad news. You guys ready for the good news? Here's the good news. Yeah, always ready for the good news after the bad news, right? Yes, thank heavens, we're going to get some good news. Here's the good news, right? That the things that are excellent are those things that are instructed out of the law. Okay, the good news is that we are right. You know, from an, from an apologetic standpoint, compared to, uh, you know, I, I think generally compared to the rest of our Christian brethren who would say, ah, eh, you probably shouldn't practice the law. The things that are excellent are instructed from the law. Paul says it right there. It's right there in verse 18. Paul tells you what he means when he says excellent, right? So, right, practicing excellent things, that's a good thing, right? There's your good news, right? We're right. That's always what a George likes to hear, right? We're right. So, 
but the things in the Torah are excellent. Paul tells you that the things in the Torah are excellent, right? In this path, the, the bad news of this passage is that, yeah, you don't do them very well, but at least we're right in saying that the things in the Torah are excellent, right? Now, right, again, this is from Romans. In Philippians, Paul is being so loving and so caring and telling people that, in general, they are doing a halfway decent job, right? He wants their love to abound more and more. Why? So they can approve the things that are excellent, right? When you talk about how much you love God, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that the Spirit, blessed be He, has given you a true and abiding love for the living God. That's a good and wonderful thing. That love should cause you to approve the things that are excellent, and the things that are excellent come from this book. Right? The things that are excellent are instructed out of the law, as Paul says. Right? So do them. Let your love motivate you to not just approve the things that are excellent, but also to do them. Right? Also notice, verse 11, right, that you will be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Solideo Gloria. All right. And again, I'm speaking a little Christianese. The glory is only for God. Soli, only. Deo, God, Gloria. The glory for Him. Solideo Gloria. SDG. Right. Our, the, the fruits of righteousness that He allows us to do. He gives us these little chances here and there to work with Him. You know, just like, have you ever had, those of you with children, did, did the kids ever want to help daddy or help mommy do something? We actually get a chance to help God fix the world when we do these mitzvot, when we do good things. Is it for our glory? No, it's not. It's for his glory. All right, move on with me. Uh, verses 12 through 18. This is interesting. I was, I was a little stymied in my study here. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Again, an undercurrent of things are going to work out. All right, there are people preaching the gospel out of envy and strife. Um, I couldn't really determine, at least from a historical sense, what Paul meant by that. All right, I think it's, I think it's very possible that um, uh, a number of things could be going on. People could be preaching the gospel from envy and strife uh, because they kind of wanted to, maybe Paul had a certain following and they wanted to steal some of those people as a following. I think that's possible. Um, I think it's also possible that these people didn't necessarily like Paul and because the, because the gospel was so novel, in, in the Roman context, the Roman imperial context especially, right? preaching this crucified Messiah as Lord as opposed to Caesar being Lord, that perhaps they were trying to negatively impact 
Paul's chances legally when he, uh, when he appealed to Caesar? I don't know, right? If it's the case of someone trying to steal people that were in Paul's congregation, I, again, I, I, I don't know, and I didn't find anything. The, none of the fathers, as far as I could tell, claim to know. Don't know exactly what that is. But again, things are going to work out. Paul says things are going to work out. And he's not even concerned about them preaching the God. He's, he's giving glory, right? God is going to be glorified. People are preaching the gospel, even if they preach it out of envy and strife. He's okay with that. He says, I rejoice in that, and yes, I will rejoice in that. Right? Now, note that Paul isn't concerned about someone's motives for preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel from envy and strife. Paul says, I, I rejoice and I will rejoice. All right? When you get the gospel wrong, that really bothers Paul. Paul had to correct the church in Galatia over allowing people to come in who were preaching that, oh yeah, Jesus Christ is great and wonderful, he did all these wonderful things, and you need to be circumcised. Right? Paul wanted them to read Galatians. It's in there. Just Enough said, right? Paul was not pleased with that. He's okay with people teaching the gospel out of envy and strife. Right? Things are going to work out. So let's open one more time to, uh, you guessed it, Romans. Turn to Romans uh, 8 with me. I'm not just going to say, Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose. Right? No, we're going to read it in context. Open up to Romans, please. Romans 8, we'll start in 18. And we got plenty of time. We'll just go through 30, right? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Just as a note, this is the same reference. Um, my, uh, my beloved sister Jessica mentioned something about this, right? The whole creation is going to be redeemed, right? Not just us. God is interested. He is first of all interested in the redemption of humankind. Yes, we know that, if nothing else, because God, the Almighty, blessed be He, chose to be incarnate in the form of a man to save creation, but He is saving all of creation. Anyways, I digress. Let's continue. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For he whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he destined, those he also called, those he called, those he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. 
Again, so now you can get it in context. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Right? This is what Paul is talking about when he says, you know, he, he will, he's, we've, we've got people preaching the gospel from envy and strife. Right? I think that it's possible today, right? You, you've heard me make fun of the Calvinists because they have no sense of humor, okay? The Calvinists are our brothers, all right? If, if I, they are, they're orthodox, small o, orthodox, okay? The, is, I don't know as much about the Latin and the Greek churches. I think that they have the, the, the central core truth of the gospel. They are our brothers. If you cannot sit down and break bread with these people and worship the risen Christ together with them, then something is going wrong. Okay, that, you, you should fix that. Okay, if I am teaching you, if, if I am preaching the gospel out of some sort of envy and strife, if I'm you know, trying to pick fights with the Calvins or with the Calvinists or with Rome or whatever the case may be, okay, that's, that's not my job. Reel me back in. Okay, I'm not doing the right thing. Okay, we don't want to teach the gospel from envy and strife. Right? Now, despite, if, if I'm doing that, despite that, all things are going to still work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose. That will happen. I don't want it to happen despite me, and I don't want it to happen despite any of you. All right, so, right, we, we know that we are his if we love the brethren. All right, just... Love your brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they eat pig. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they wear funny robes when they go to church. And yes, love your brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they're Calvinist. All right. Because this, this flock, this flock is not Philip Snell's flock. This flock is not Colonel John Pallage's flock. This flock is certainly not Joe George's flock. All right, this flock belongs to the Good Shepherd, blessed be He. Okay, and His flock extends beyond the beyond the boundaries of this synagogue. Okay, we need to love those people. Now, again, it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. It might not work out the way Paul wanted to. Let's look at the last part of this passage today. Uh, let's look at verses 19 through 26. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Again, Paul here is saying that he's okay with dying because he gets to go be with the Lord. Okay, just, all right. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Okay, now, historically, we believe that uh, Philippians was written that Philippians might be two or three books smashed together, or two or three letters from Paul smashed together. Some people say that it is. Even then, right, the latest part of Philippians was probably written no later than 62 AD. 
we believe that Paul went back to Philippi. So he did get to go back to Philippi. Right? Um, now, right, so ultimately did it work out the way Paul wanted it to? No. He got his head cut off. Rome cut his head off. All right, Paul would have probably preferred that he, he go in front of, right, he had appealed to Caesar, he was going to go in front of Caesar and preach the gospel, and you know, Nero, of all people, was going to accept the gospel, and from there, it's, it's going to be perfect. Right? <laughs> no. Paul got his head chopped off. Right? That, but it is still, it's all going to work out. It's going to work out to the glory of God. How is it going to work out with Paul? It's going to work out just fine with Paul because Paul is going to be with our victorious Lord, blessed be he, when our victorious Lord returns at the end of the age with tens of thousands of his holy ones. Right? Paul is going to be right there with him. And so then, right, just like he says in verse 26, our rejoicing with him will be more abundant. Why is our rejoicing with him going to be more abundant? Because that rejoicing is going to be in Messiah, Yeshua. Blessed be he. Right? That's how it's going to work out. It, it is all going to work out. It's all going to work out because it's going to work out in the Messiah. Blessed be he. So, uh, join me in prayer. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for working it all out. Lord, you, didn't, you did not owe us working it all out. I, I would not have done what you did, Lord. I would have judged those hapless rebels and I would have had done. <sighs> thank you for not being like me. It's like we sang today, Lord. You have considered me. You have considered me. It's all going to work out because you considered me. You are holy. There is none like you. You are worthy of more than I could ever do and your glory. It fills the universe and you have considered me. We love you, Lord. You've considered us. You've considered everything we need. You've considered the provision of our salvation through your son, Jesus of Nazareth. We love you. Lord, I'm so excited to preach next, next time I preach. So excited to preach about the Trinity. So excited to preach about your glory. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, taking good care of us. Amen.